Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to your Sunday night edition of Anarchy Time, just a little after 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here. And uh, tonight we have some great guests, and we have a uh, special guest tonight. 
uh, that we are having on the show. Uh, I'll get to him in a second. I've been hounding him for some time to get him back on here. Um, but tonight we have on our show, uh, is it Stefan or Stephen Kinsella? Stefan. Stefan Kinsella. Um, Wilton Alston, Wilton, you with us? Hello, can you hear me? Hey, well, yep, we can hear you. And let me see if this, yep, we can hear you, Will. And uh, Mariana? Yep, I'm here. All right, and Mariana Evica. Now, um, Stefan Kinsella um, is a libertarian writer and attorney in Houston, Texas. And he has been active writing and speaking on topics such as rights theory, legal theory, Austrian economics, anarcho-libertarianism, contract theory, um, property law, uh, intellectual property, and uh, punishment theory. He's also a uh, senior fellow at the Ludwig, uh, Ludwig von Mises Institute, a member of the advisory panel of the Center for Stateless Society, and the founder and editor of Libertarian Papers. Uh, Wilt Alston lives in Rochester, New York, with his wife and three children. And when he's not training for a marathon or furthering his part-time study of libertarian philosophy, he works as a uh, principal research scientist in transportation safety, focusing primarily on safety of subway and freight train control systems. And um, I've lost my train of thought here. And Wilt has written articles for both Lou Rockwell and Strike the Root. Mariana Evica uses social media and web strategy to connect the grassroots movements of Voltairism, agorism, natural parenting, and the art and alternative education. And her writing is inspired by um, uh, myth, ritual, and family. Um, Mariana recently started working as a development specialist and social media specialist with the Center for uh, stateless society, and she has two children and resides in Connecticut. Um, we are taking calls later in the show, maybe uh, the last uh, 30 minutes. Uh, so the number will be 347-633-9636 to uh, join us on the show. Um, Tom's out today. I'm trying to find out where Mandy is. And our special guest tonight is... Stefan Molyneux. Welcome to the show, Stefan. Stefan, you with us? Yes, uh, thank you so much, James. It's uh, great to be back. And uh, Stefan has um, the website uh, freedomainradio.com and um, as a YouTube site, uh, Stefbot, you can look him up on there, Stefbot, and there's some very great um, pieces to understand how a you know stateless society uh, can work. So tonight we're talking about immigration and um, these Im imaginary borders that we have around the world uh, that keep countries divided. And so what I want to do is start with uh, Stefan Kinsella and um, if you could start talking about immigration and um, you know the the state you know the, the the state as a whole why they have why we have these immigration controls and, and why they feel the the need for borders and the argument against it and we can all get joined in in this discussion I mean I think um, the theoretical point is 
is fairly easy to make, and that is that um, in a free society there would be no states, and all immigration decisions, so-called, would be basically permissions of private landowners and property owners. And so it would just be a system of, of, uh, of permissions granted by uh, the landowners, and we don't have that now. I do think that the best analysis of sort of where we went wrong or, or why it's so uh, corrupted nowadays is provided by uh, Professor Hoppe in his democracy analysis, and he explains that um, uh, although he's an anarcho-capitalist uh, like I am and like a lot of uh, us on the show tonight are, uh, that a, a monarchy is still illegitimate. There are certain advantages to a monarchy over a democracy, and that when you have a monarch, say a monarch is sort of a putative owner of the whole country – he has certain more rational incentives to control immigration in, into the country. Um, and then when you have a democracy, all these uh, incentives get totally screwed up in favor of the political process. And um, and then when you have the welfare state emerging, it gets even worse. And, um, I mean, I am certainly – I recognize that there are many problems because of immigration now because of the state society that we have. But the problems are because of the state and the welfare state that we have. Um, and I don't think that it is legitimate to, for the government to deny one property owner in this country to allow anyone he wants to gain interest to his property. Mariana? I, I would have to agree with you, Stefan. I, I would say that um, to also pin another defining characteristic of the problem with immigration on the state, I think it's impossible to, to tease out the war on drugs from, from the problem. We would not have uh, as many problems along the border right now in, in Arizona, for example, where uh, the, the people of Arizona and Mexico are dealing with the drug cartels uh, if, if the war on, on, on drugs didn't exist. Uh, I, I get very uh, impatient when, when I listen people listen to people use uh, a welfare argument for the reason for excluding people from walking across that imaginary line in you know in the Arizona Texas border because if if they are here illegitimately if, you know quote unquote illegitimately they are not using the services of the state and even if let's say an immigrant family manages to secure illegally uh, social security uh, numbers in, in order to participate, then they're paying taxes to the state. In fact, there was a, a recent article indicating that there's a net gain because so few so-called illegals are using state services. I think it, it boils down to uh, the drug war. Uh, the, the, the war on drugs is a war on people. And if, if we didn't have the drug war, we wouldn't have a lot of the violence, which is, I, I think, one of the most strident arguments against uh, free immigration over the Arizona-Texas border at the moment. And uh, Wilton. Uh, yeah, I guess I would probably, I would probably agree with the uh, first two speakers. It's, it's kind of ironic that the two seminal pieces that I've written on immigration both appeared on Strike the Root and Stephen Molyneux was my co-author. <laughs> so, so, so he and I will probably be saying a lot of the same stuff, I hope. Uh, it, it, I, I think when we, we have to kind of separate a couple of things. First of all, there's the, there's the argument 
from effect, right? That's all the things like they'll get on welfare, they use drugs, their ethnicity is this, that, and the other. All those things are things that we can debate about for quite a long time. I prefer to, to kind of fall, fall back to what I call the argument for morality, and that's a Stephen Molyneux term that I'm stealing for right now. There's, there's nothing objectively different about a guy who walks across an imaginary line that no one can see and, 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 takes, and takes a job he's been offered by a person who has a job to give him, right? So there, the, 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 the suggestion that the driving force for, quote, unquote, illegal aliens is to come across the Rio Grande or swim across from Cuba on a water-soaked headboard to get on welfare strikes me as completely preposterous. I mean, I, I just don't I, – I, I, I can't even get my mind around how that can be even considered valid. So from my standpoint, the line's imaginary. I can walk across the street. I could go to the, go to the next state and buy something. I could go get a job in another county. A person from Mexico or Canada is objectively no different than I am in that regard. And when and when I get to the other county, when they get to the other state, I'm going to have to find a job. I'm going to, I, gotta, I gotta buy services. I'll be offered jobs in exchange for what I can do. That's why they come. Being offered jobs in exchange for what they can provide. Simple as that. Stefan Molyneux. Well, thanks. Uh, I think it's important to focus on the language. Like, if you lose the language, you've lost the debate. Like, if you think it's taxation and not theft, you've already lost the debate. So governments love to invent new terms for things which we already have words for, and we don't need a word called immigration because we already have a word called moving because that's all the people are doing. They're moving Agreed. from one place to another. You can relabel it immigration, but then you're just changing the entire word and losing the whole meaning. The second aspect I think is important, and I agree with Mariana completely about the hideous nature of the drug war and its effect on Mexican culture. It's been brutal, not just on the people who have to suffer the violence of these kingpins, but it's corrupted the entire political process even beyond what it normally is. So I think that's pretty brutal. But I think another aspect that's often undervalued in this uh, debate is the degree to which U.S. farm policy, farm subsidies, and the dumping of excess crops uh, in other countries, and in particular in Mexico, has destroyed subsist even subsistence farming uh, in, in Mexico, forcing people off their land, and that's been, that's been really brutal uh, on the Mexican people. And the last thing that I'd sort of say uh, as my first thoughts on the subject are that uh, statism as it grows, as, as the state grows, there's always an upward pressure on uh, wages because you've got uh, all these special interest groups that you have to pay off, whether it's unions or in particular you know, public sector workers who receive salaries and benefits around twice what private sector workers um, receive. So because the government is growing and, and paying off more people all the time, you've got this constantly rising prices uh, and rising wages in the public sector. And if that wasn't counterbalanced by something, the system would fall apart very quickly and there would be much more complaint and much more resistance to the expansion of the state. I think people underestimate the degree to which American prices are kept relatively low, particularly in food, which of course is the staple, by uh, immigrants. And uh, if that uh, wasn't there, I think that there would be a great deal of change a lot faster because the expansion of the state and its effect on the economy would be that much clearer. Right. Uh, being an immigrant myself, uh, I you know moved to the U.S. and uh, went through the um, you know the uh, process, and it's such a long, 
painful process. Uh, you know, you have to file, you have to wait, you know, um, you have to you have to go back several times. You have to be fingerprinted. Uh, you have to have blood drawn. They do a medical exam, and all of this is done after the fact. You know the, the, that you're here, and you know they want to know if you've got you know uh, tuberculosis and AIDS. Well, you know, I mean, you've been here for eight nine months, and then you go to a doctor's office to have this. You know, wouldn't you have you know spread any of these diseases? You know before all this so to me it's it's control and it's you know they want to brand you with a number they want to put you in the system and it's another way of stealing money from you so they want to know you know register you it's just like Stefan's um, you know video about your cattle and human farming I am now part of the United States human farming and I'm still attached to the the uh, the farm over in England as well because I, I, I could go back there so I have you know in theory really right now because they don't relinquish the citizenship over in uh, the UK so I have I have two farmers farming me if, if they they uh, you know if they wish I guess if I let them and uh, so it's it's control it's another way of control another way of making money out of people um, stealing money from them. Um, I want to hand it back to uh, Stefan Kinsella, uh, his thoughts on this. Well, I'm, I agree completely with all the other um, uh, speakers and with your comments as well. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll say that I, you know, I used to sort of have some of the more conservative cultural concerns about the effects of immigration in today's society. Um, and I used to believe that all the attacks on the anti-immigration arguments as being nativist were sort of um, over the top and unfair. Um, but you know, the more I look into this, you know, I talk to friends and people I know that are fairly economically literate. They understand the economic arguments for immigration that it makes sense. Uh, you know, the more people you have that are productive, the more everyone benefits, et cetera. And you say, well, what's the problem? And they start talking about the language. You know, they don't speak English. Um, or, or they, you know, they, they don't assimilate into our culture. And basically, it's an ultra-conservative resistance to change. It's sort of this idea that we have a snapshot of the way things are now or the way they're used to it from when they, you know, when they were young, and they just don't want it to change. And I think there is – I don't know if it's racist really, but it's sort of this xenophobic uh, you know, attachment to the way things are, and they sure. – hate the fact that people are coming in and changing things, and they hate dynamism and the fact that the world changes always. Mariana? Well, I, I think the, the other giant elephant in the room, and by the way, I, I think that these are, are, are nationalist, uh, very verging on, on fascist arguments because they sort of ignore reality, which is that we are not a Northern European-centric nation anymore, and, and vast contributions have been made from a very diverse group of people. Uh, the thing that amazes me, uh, when, when people talk about the costs of immigration, not only are they ignoring uh, you know, the drug war and, and the human and, and monetary costs of that as well, I, the elephant in the room for me is war in general. I, the amount of, of money that that anyone on welfare eats up of, of the state, 
uh, it pales in comparison to the cost of, of war in, in general. I think it's, an, it's another way that, that all arguments against it are specious. Right. And uh, uh, Wilton? Yeah, again, uh, if, you, if, you want, if you want to talk about, I think some of the, some of the things that I think animate the, the anti-immigration discussion, and as, as Stefan Kinsella was saying, we have these debates with, 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 with friends of ours, and not all the people that we're talking to are economically illiterate, nor are they necessarily against freedom. Some of them are, some of them are, are erstwhile libertarians, but they still feel like, for example, I had a guy say to me the other day that, well, uh, I want to see my culture be preserved. And I thought to myself, what? I mean, as, as Stephen mentioned, there's, a, there's this perception of a snapshot in time that never changes. The, the, the U.S. has never been a snapshot in time. I don't know what the good old days were, but there was never been a place where it was always like, like I mean, there was, a, there was an, an old west, an east, there was, there was a time of slavery. There was north and south. There was always a dynamism that was over and above any, any stoic impression of, well, we have a static culture. So from my standpoint, I, I tend to kind of laugh at, at any argument that, that even sort of suggests that, well, uh, immigrants are going to come in and ruin the culture. For example, I had a guy say to me that, uh, well, they should, they should learn to speak the language. You know, they, should, they should learn to speak the, quote, unquote, official language. Well, of course, he didn't realize that the U.S. has no official language. That's on purpose, right? I mean, there's a reason why there isn't a, a move to make everyone do anything specific like that. So this whole thought that we're going to lose the culture, and myself being – a slave descendant, I kind of find any any discussion of losing the culture sort of insulting. Stefan Molyneux? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I was just thinking that there is this idea that if, you know, if we can keep those Western European whiteies coming in, then everything is going to be just <laughs> great because we all know how capitalist and entrepreneurial Western Europe is these days, you know. What I think we should do is flood, like open the gates to everybody who was ever in Eastern Europe under the Soviets. Those are the people that I want to come. South Americans, I mean, I talk to these people a lot, and they hate the state. I mean, those are the people we should be inviting in if you want a smaller government. It also sort of struck me that if you were to get an application, uh, I guess, that uh, immigration in the U.S. for some guy who said, you know, I really want to come to America. Uh, I've never quite got past grade four. Uh, can I come in? Of course, they'd say, no way, and then Benjamin Franklin would never be allowed into the country. <laughs> I mean, how absurd it gets that none of the founding fathers would be allowed into the country under the existing immigration system, and I just think that's the absurdity. And look, if you need the government to protect your culture, your culture is already dead. Like, if you Absolutely. need armed guards to keep your wife in your house, your marriage is already dead. If you need violence to protect your ideas, your ideas are worthless to begin with. So, to me, that is not – even if I accepted the status argument, that to me would not be compelling. You know, you know Stefan, um, this is Stefan Kinsella. I always – I see a resemblance to the, uh, to the gay marriage argument. When you hear conservatives talk about they're worried that gay marriage would, 
would uh, threaten threaten marriage. I mean, it, <laughs> it doesn't threaten my marriage, you know. It's the same thing with. I mean, it doesn't threaten my culture and the you know the celebrations I want to have, you know, um, right, on right. my holidays and things like this. Yeah, and where are straight people going to go for an evening out if there's no musical theater? I mean, it helps me. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think that there is a concern that some people have about um, – it, it can be ridiculed, you know, that, and you have the Archie Bunker types that want white Europeans to come in. But when the welfare state gets involved and they impose uh, politically correct quotas on the artificial limits that we have, then it could cause an artificial an artificial change to the – to the ethnic or cultural or, or, or you know or nationalistic makeup of the country, that wouldn't have happened naturally. I agree with you. We should open the borders and let whoever wants to come in, because everyone I've ever met that's an immigrant is usually better on average than the average person I know in America. Right. I, I want to turn our attention, uh, Mandy. Uh, do you have anything to say? Um. Well, anyone, anyone who knows me knows um, how I feel about uh, immigration and borders and immigrants. I just, I don't know why I must uh, why people feel I have to um, see and abide by these imaginary lines that they painted for me. Uh, they're really you know they're really no more than you know toll booths really, um, just a, a means to you know get people pumped up and, and divided and um, it's that that attitude that you're better somehow because you were born you know in you know a certain longitude and latitude. Um, than someone else or more entitled to something. I, I just find it really just, just vile. Um, I, I like the way Stefan put it. Um, people are just moving rather than being immigrants because uh, language is still very important. Um, it, SB 1070 in Arizona is absolutely wretched. I don't. I, I can't. Um, I can't get behind anyone that could support that. It, it's you know and borders. I feel. They, they work really well to keep people out, but they also work well to keep you in. And I just I don't think people really are considering it. As far as you know, with the focus on everything being about you know drug running, it's not just drugs. It's um, everything that the government has decided to make a crime that is really nothing more than a vice. You know, you have people that are involved in you know whether it's drugs or gambling or prostitution or or weapons or what have you, or even simply wanting to negotiate their own wage and not work at the you know the set minimum wages. And things like that. Just people um, making a livelihood. The states criminalize everything. So even once people do come into the country, if you're, you know, uh, they're automatically a criminal then. And then from there on out, you know, they're trying so hard to, you know, stay off the radar or what have you. That you know, they really can't. They really can't help. But um, it's really hard to get ahead. It's you, you can't stop breaking any laws at that point. This is well. I think that's true. But I, I sorry. I also think there's a legitimate fear that people have in a democratic system, which is like the majority, right? So the majority is sort of white uh, uh, Americans. They have used the state, uh, and of course, Will pointed it out very well, as a descendant of a slave, they've used the state quite extensively to oppress minorities. And there is, I think, a kind of thing that happens in the head, deep down in the brain, in the conscience, right? Where if you have participated in some wrongs or approved some wrongs, you are very afraid that you're going to reap what you sow. And Americans who have, you know, because the power is there, they've used it to oppress minorities throughout history. The white majority who's used that power has a kind of sort of basic, almost biblical fear of becoming a minority themselves and fearing that kind of payback. And I think that's something that you can sort of read between the lines. And I don't think I'm projecting too much, but uh, I can certainly see it there in some, some of the conversations about this topic. You, you know, yeah. Stephanie, I'd, I'd, I'd agree totally. Uh, one point I wanted to, I wanted to make 
one point I wanted to highlight one thing that Mandy said that she kind of mentioned and then went on with, and that's the whole concept of toll booths. I think what happens with the state, and we would all see this as being true, is that status measures that were initially conceived for one purpose, the longer, the longer they exist, they morph into something else. Border stations were originally built by the Treasury, and, and literally that's, that's, really what they were, that's really what they were for. They were, they, were, they were ways to extract, if you will, tribute from those entering. You know, you pay tariffs, you pay duties, our stuff you bought, stuff you're bringing in. It's just, it, was a, it was an additional income source. That's why the Treasury built those buildings. So, and then somehow, as, as, as they exist for longer and longer and longer, there's this belief that they become a, a way to protect us. There's, they're, they're a sort of a choke point against all the bad stuff that could come in if it wasn't for them. So that, and, and again, that's a, that's a, that's a typical statist uh, evolution. Things that, things that have one purpose when they're, when they're first built begin to have other purposes that ostensibly make them more and more necessary when they were never, when they were never vital to start with. I'm glad you uh, brought that up, Wilton, and uh, I'm glad that uh, Mandy brought the Arizona um, legislation up uh, because my thoughts on this, this is just a, a step in the direction for the United States for a national ID card, something that the federal government's been planning for a long time that they've wanted to, you know, uh, get in place for all Americans so that, uh, you know, you can carry this card around you with the RFID chip in it and people, you know, can be stopped and it's just like Nazi Germany, papers please. And everything's on that card, you know, they can run it, you know, the, the, the cop can run it through his computer, you know, in his uh, car and everything about you will be on that card, even medical records and things like that. Uh, so I just think that this and, – and, and Americans, you know, they're, they're, they're too blind to see this, and they think that this uh, law in Arizona is such a great thing. It's going to keep, you know, all these illegals out, you know, and uh, it's, it's not, it's not going to keep illegal immigrants out, and I hate that term, illegal immigrants. It's not going to stop people coming so I'll stop using it right now. <laughs> it's not going to stop people moving here to the uh, uh, United States because there are a lot of people that come here on student visas and, you know, stay. And um, so you, you're never, ever going to solve the problem. And people that think that you are, they're wrong. And I want to move back to uh, Stephen Kinsella with his thoughts on what I've just said. Well, uh, let me just uh, go back to a thought I just had that, you know, I, there's a parallel um, here to uh, just the issue of, of, of political correctness and racism itself. And I've noticed that in America, in, in a way, um, you have people really politically correct and afraid to be sort of, you know, common sense about certain uh, just uh, certain racial differences or things that are obvious, partly because they're statist minded. And they have the mentality, the sort of implicit mentality that, you know, if you could tell a difference between two types of people, then it would be okay to use the law and the government to do something about it. So they're sort of afraid to admit that there's any differences between people because if you admit this, then, hey, you might have um, a holocaust or rounding up the Japanese, you know. Um, 
and I think there's something similar with uh, with 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 immigration too. Um, and also, uh, you know, we have democracy now. So when you when you allow an immigrant into the country, we sort of bought into this myth that, you know, now you are the government, right? You have a say so in the government. You're part owner or part controller of the government. And because of our system, where uh, if you're born here, you have children here, they're automatically citizens. I mean, that might contribute to the fear of letting immigrants in because we have democracy. If a state was clearly separated from the people, there might not be as much fear of immigrants because they wouldn't be viewed as becoming sort of glomming onto and becoming part of this club, you know, part of the government, having a part control of the government. Um, Mariana. <clears throat> well, I, I think that ties in nicely with the whole perception issue of of scarcity, uh, the idea that somehow additional people are, are only a burden is, is quite the fallacy. Uh, people are, are naturally entrepreneurial. They, they actually do want to succeed, have a, a home, have, have land, and, and start their own businesses. So the idea that there's some sort of like uniform, uh, generic, soul-sucking Mexican type <laughs> that is going to come in and just suck up all the resources, when, when, when really they bring with them their skills, their minds, their hearts, their, their families, which are all positive things we, that we associate with being good human beings. And I think Stefan Molyneux really hit the nose on the head when he points out that we have no idea of what actual costs are. Because, for example, in the area of food production, particularly in the last 50 years in California, our, our food prices are so artificially depressed via both government subsidy and the, the fact that the labor costs so little, we have no idea. The fact of the matter is, is that the Mexican peoples have been contributing in the positive column to our well-being for so long, we have no idea. People are very disconnected from reality in this regard. Oh, yeah, they uh, are. It's, it's just crushing. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I like what Mariana said about, um, you know, the, the stereotypical, like, you know, Mexican, that you know, coming here to do such horrible things. I, I like when people say, you know, this, this illegal immigrant, um, you know, was uh, driving drunk and, you know, killed two people or, you know, this illegal immigrant did such and such. And I wonder if they would be happier if that person had gotten permission from the government and then murdered someone. You know, they look at uh, the person and it's somehow as though, you know, their crime was somehow worse um, because they didn't get permission to come here first. It, it's really, it, it, they're not judging, they're not looking at the crime, they're looking at the individual and somehow, it, you know, uh, because the color of their skin is different or they, you know, they do something differently um, and they didn't get permission to, to just move their belongings elsewhere, um, that they should be judged differently for, you know, committing an act of violence. Most, um, I've lived in uh, Los Angeles, I've lived in South Texas, and most immigrants I've encountered, um, usually um, for fear of that stereotype or for fe uh, fear of dealing with authorities, um, really held more tightly to the non-aggression principle than most, uh, you know, people who were born in the country. Um, oh, I'd I agree. Can I, can I can no, just jump in and, and, and oh, add something to you, Mandy? I think that we're missing a tremendous opportunity because so many Mexicans are the best uh, counter-economic people. That, that, that's right that, where I was going with that. Yeah, go for so it. Open to, to agorism. Um, they, you know, they, you know, staying out of sight. Um, 
they're open to working for cash, bartering for goods, um, different currencies, if you, if you like coins, things like that, um, trading services. It, it's really a tremendous opportunity. Um, living in Los Angeles, um, my family, um, we always uh, were, uh, I uh, can remember an instance in particular when um, we had a big move happening, and we went down and we found immigrants. They worked, they negotiated fair wage, um, breaks and everything, and uh, they, they were hard workers. And, Really, we had um, one person. Um, one of the group that came with him was a citizen, and he complained all day. And then he, you know, he, you know, slacked off. And they just they did their job. They negotiated their wage. They were happy with what they got. You know, they took their breaks. And they were really, I, you know, I'd much rather deal with someone that I can I can negotiate with on you know on those grounds like that. And that, you know, they they kept their word. And I'm not saying that you know all citizens don't. I'm just saying that you know. Um, when they feel like, you know, when people have that opportunity to, when they, you know, when they're operating outside the system and that's, you know, what they've chosen or what they felt like they've been forced to, um, they tend to, you know, they, they do, uh, in my own experience, um, there's bad seeds everywhere, but, you know, uh, aggression works um, and non-aggression principle, whether or not they uh, consciously choose it is how they end up living. Uh, Wilton. Yes, hello. I uh, hello. Um, yeah, go ahead. One one of the things I, I think I, I would I would I, I would I would have no counter arguments for anything anyone has said. But one of the things I think we need to be really cognizant of, and that is uh we don't want to have what I'd call creeping consequentialism. I don't think I don't think one needs to uh justify open borders because they've they've always met great Mexicans, right? I don't think there's a there's a there's a there just 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 as if no one needs to justify freeing the slaves because every slave every free slave they ever they ever met was a really good worker, right? There's a there's a there's a obvious moral component to having a having a man on himself and be free, and there's an obvious moral component. There's nothing objectively different about a person who lived on, who happened, who, who through an accident of birth grew up on another side of, an, of a fake line in the sand than did I. <clears throat> so so, so I, I don't think there's anything to be gained really by, I mean, I think those are good things to say anecdotally, but it, in terms of how, of how I justify it, I, 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 don't, I, I, don't, I don't even worry about the fact that by via some happenstance, three people got killed in a car wreck day before yesterday, and the, and the car was driven by an illegal alien because that that person didn't drive that car poorly because of their illegalness of of being an, an alien, and the person, the people who who got in a wreck the night before who weren't Mexican didn't drive it well because of what they were. So so I don't want to in any way at all worry about that. I want to just stick to the issue of what makes a person who who gets here this week different morally than a person who who, who got here 25 years ago. In my mind, nothing. So if the state can, can make up a rule that says, well, if you get here this week, you've got, you got to fill out Form A, but if you came here on the Mayflower, you've got to fill out nothing, that kind of strikes me as depending on the state to make rules that it, that it really should not. Right, and uh, I think we need to stop uh, profiling. Uh, actually, it was a guy 
that uh, moved from Mexico that was drunk behind the wheel of the car that didn't have a driver's <laughs> license that hit somebody. Right, right. <laughs> Stefan, followed you. Right, because uh, because we know that uh, all of the uh, the local people like George Bush never make any decisions that harm Americans. <laughs> Those immigrants never, 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 ever. Never you know, I, and I, it just—it struck me too. Uh, I was reading an article the other day. Uh, you know, people—people people put this amazing faith in the next piece of legislation. It really is amazing. I was watching a B movie. It's a movie with animated movie with Jerry Seinfeld. Let's just say it's because I have a 16-month-old daughter. That's probably easier to explain that way. And in the movie, this bee is flying through the kitchen, and he goes bang straight into a, a, a glass window. And he's like, oh, what the hell is that? And he goes back and he goes in again, bang, bang. And he's like, maybe this time it'll work. Maybe this time, this time, this time, this time. And it goes on for a few minutes where he just keeps banging his head against the glass because that's what bees do. And it struck me that that's a pretty good metaphor for how people think of the next status policy. You know, this time it's going to work. This time, this time, this time. It's like people have the attention span of a ferret on a double espresso because they say, well, people are bringing drugs in the drug war and things, but we already have laws against the drug war and they're not working. And we already have laws against immigration and they're not working. So why do people imagine that the next law is suddenly going to magically put it all perfectly into place and everything's going to work out fine? It's not going to happen. Yep. And what's going to happen is so blindingly predictable. The more you restrict entry into a country, the more valuable it becomes for everyone who gets over, which means that there's going to be a greater incentive to, to try and get over the border, which means more people are going to focus on it. And also it means that people who are being carted across, uh, being helped across the, the, the border, are going to have to pay a lot more money to get into the U.S. because the restriction has raised the value of getting there, which means they're going to be even more in debt and even more desperate when they get here, and maybe they'll turn even more to drugs. I mean, it's so predictable just how completely the opposite you always end up uh, whenever you use a force to solve a complex social problem. Agreed. Stefan Kinsella? A lot of the, lot of the crime and stuff that's happening in um, Arizona with uh, kidnappings and things, um, most of the people that are getting harmed are immigrants. Um, they're, they're, um, the, the people are smuggling them over the border, are holding them. Um, they're you know, telling them, you know, we have to work for our drug company, or you know, they're putting the women into prostitution, they're threatening them. And when they right. try to back out of that, um, you know, they're, they're harming them, they're holding, you know, murdering them, what have you. Um, and everything, it all goes right back to the, the state you know, that you know, causes that. I just wanted to say, yeah, I wanna, uh, let, let me just defend George Bush. I'm from Texas, so I have to just say in response to Stefan that George Bush is no more of a moron than Obama is. Well, I completely agree with that. There's like, uh, well, Sarah Palin's a bimbo. It's like, no, 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 they're, they're all bimbos. Uh, so I completely agree with you on that. No, but you know, I, I will say I saw an ad uh, from uh, from the uh, the Arizona, I guess, governor directed to Obama, and it was all pretentious and uh, sort of a superior and condescending, saying, you know, Mr. Obama, we're just defending the federal laws, which they are, uh, and you know, do do your job and defend the borders. Don't joke about it. But you know, this is complete hypocrisy. Why don't they advocate? Um, uh, uh, abolishing this ridiculous and insane and immoral and absolutely evil drug war, which is the root cause of a lot of these problems that Arizona is facing. I mean, this is just a crime for the governor to be in charge of stopping crime in their state and to blame something like immigration policy instead of the the goddamn drug war. I mean, it is absolutely ludicrous. Well, sorry, I'm just going to jump in because I, I think I know the answer to that one. Um, people 
don't ever want to try to reduce the power of the state because then they'll realize that they can't, that the system doesn't work, that the system only works to bribe new special interest groups and expand state powers at the expense of the vestiges of your liberty. The reason that people don't want to say, for instance, they say, well, people are coming over here because of the welfare state, then of course the logical thing would be to replace the welfare state with some private charity and agency. But people don't want to do that because they, rest, they don't want to see that, gen, that basic reality that they cannot control this monster that they have created. The only way that they can ever gain the illusion of controlling the state is if they ask it to expand its powers, and then it will, and they say, yay, I'm a citizen with control over the state. They never want to face that huge blank brick wall of attempting to reduce its powers, because then they'll realize how powerless they really are. Uh, Mariana? <clears throat> I, I guess one thing that's been weighing heavily on, on my mind, I, I have a, a good friend who is uh, down in the Texas, Arizona area, and and he says that he feels besieged uh, and that people in his neighborhood have, have literally uh, started putting refrigerators outside and coolers with food in it, not because they are uh, pro-freedom of movement or because they have compassion for people, but because they're afraid of being robbed, uh, that there have been many cases of, of people moving across the border and breaking into people's homes. And I, I, let, I really let that sit with me for a while since I, I really do believe that, that, that property rights reign, reign supreme and that one should have sovereign control over one's property. But then I thought, well, wait a minute. I, isn't the moral response to say, oh my God, what, what is the difference between uh, you know, the immigrants coming from, and it's, it's, it's not just Mexico, it's, it's all of South and Central America as well, and it has been for a very long time, is there some sort of moral difference between slaves trying to escape slavery through the Underground Railroad and this? And I really, I don't see a huge distinction. These are people trying to move toward freedom and, and safety. I don't know why there isn't some huge underground outcry that says, okay, we're going to set up, okay, this is our locale, and, and in this five-mile radius, this will be a safe house, and this, you, know, you can count on this person setting out food for you. You can count on this person uh, to give you a small donation. You know, it, it seems to me like the relationship that the state sets up is so intrinsically adversarial, that we would look at this so much more differently if, if we could imagine that we were related to people, if they were a part of our family, that the reaction is, uh, I think, uh, people express us some sort of brainwashing because these people are our family. They are human beings. They're not somehow intrinsically bad because they were, again, by some accident of birth or geography. Uh, I think there needs to be an organized response that says, you know, we, we understand what you're going through and we're not going to regard you as, as criminal. I think people need to really stand up to that. Right. Uh, Wilton? Hello? Yeah, I'm yes. here. Sorry. Uh, yeah, what, one of the things uh, that uh, kind of occurred to me as Mariana was talking, and, and, and again, this is sort of a part of the part of the, the, the evolution of the state, right? Is that 
things that you used to think were your responsibility, you think are theirs. Right? And this and this this is one of the reasons. This is one of the ways that the, that the state maintains long-term control. She mentioned the, the whole the whole issue of the, the underground railroad and why why don't people see it as a way to help people escape poverty? It's because the state has set you up as if you're in competition for the crumbs they give you with all the other serfs that are on the same level as you. So it's it's so it's it's a and, and this is again this is a historic tool used by used by those in control to to maintain control is that it becomes more important that you guard the bucket of slop that you're eating than it is to try to figure out why you and the other serfs only have slop and the king has steak. And and, and and that's and, and that again that's that's part of the what you've got to call an almost a uh, 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 a well executed <laughs> evolutionary plan of collectivism statism kind of supplanting what would otherwise be our natural tendencies toward helping people turning into our desire to keep the little bit that we have right. And, you know, you have people, I mean, there's somebody in the chat room right now talking about, this is my country, it's our border, we must protect it. How would you like them, you know, in your house, you know, this and the other? There's a difference between, you know, private property. If somebody owns private property, then, yes, somebody is, is trespassing. But if it's a uh, road that uh, is municipal, that, you know, nobody owns it, then, you know, anybody has the right to travel on that, you know, road. And um, people don't understand that fact. You know, there lies uh, a, a problem there. Now, if you're that way inclined that you own property and, you know, you, you, you want, you know, it's okay for people to come over it, then that's fine. If you don't want people to come on your property, then, you know, you fence it or protect it however way you want. And um, how these people think that this imaginary border, this imaginary line uh, that the United States has, or any country, in fact, is a line that people must not uh, pass unless they get permission. It is just totally, you know, beyond uh, my my thought process that people seem to think that they have the right to control people. They have, you know, uh, this right to tell somebody what they can and what they cannot do. And you cannot, they cannot have that right because you cannot give them any right that you don't have yourself. And regardless of, you know, them saying, it's our border, it's our border, it's not your border, the border doesn't exist, it's a fake line that these people are, who are wanting to move from one from point A to point B have the right to do so. Mm. Stefan Kinsella. Yes, well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not in disagreement with what I've heard so far. I, I think the question is what can we do to change things? I mean, it's really hard to change people's uh, sort of built-in patriotic and democratic sentiments that, that infect all these ideas. 
Um, I, I mean, as much as I dislike the Arizona thing, the one aspect of it that I don't disagree with is the idea of decentralization, which is that you know basically pushing the immigration decision or jurisdiction down and down and down the level from a larger to a small level down to the individual level. So you know theoretically, or ceteris paribus, you know without looking at the particular consequences. Um, pushing it from the U.S. level down to the state level would, in theory, be a good idea, uh, and then down to the county and town level, and finally down to the, you know, the home level and or to the to the individual or family-based level, uh, which is anarchy. Um, so, and you know, the, the the Arizona issue, which is uh, upsetting a lot of people, they really are doing nothing more than enforcing the already existing federal law. It's sort of a joke that we have a federal law. And that you know it's sort of seem to be politically incorrect to enforce it. I mean, if you're going to have the law, then you have you shouldn't shirk from the consequences of that law. And so Obama, for Obama to take the high road and condemn Arizona for enforcing the law that Obama and the federal government supports, is totally incoherent. Right, right, uh, Mariana. <clears throat> well, if the question is what do we do? Uh, being one who has steadily lost faith and abandoned pretty much the political action paradigm, again, um, you know, not to sound like a broken record, but um, I, I think that everything has to be done on a very small local level, boiling down to agorists who are willing to help as many Mexicans over the border as they possibly can, assisting them with with infrastructure. Uh, you know, making some sort of private contract with them so that some, something is arrived at that feels equitable to them. Because uh, since we, we really know that the drug war is, is at the bottom of, of the problem, um, I, without eliminating the drug war, I'm, I'm not really clear how we can even get people to see eye to eye. So um, while it probably sounds like pie in the sky to some people, I think working from from the ground up in, in communities is the way to go. Uh, Wilton, I move to uh, Stefan Molyneux. Yeah, the the question of of what to do is is really the essential one, and I'm not going to go into all of my uh, tangential theories about it. But I do think that a little bit of economic education can help in this area. I, I think. For those of us who still have some sort of steady income, it's, it's hard to really get just how scary it is out there for most Americans economically at the moment and how precarious they feel and how they're going into debt and, and living on you know, their parents' savings. And, and I think it's really scary. So then when, when people think or they have the illusion or the perception that immigrants are taking away American jobs and the reason we have no manufacturing is because the jobs have been outsourced to all those damn foreigners and all that kind of stuff, uh, I think that is a really dangerous paradigm for people to be working with because it's the complete opposite of the truth. It is the growth of centralized power and state unions that have caused and environmental regulations and health and safety stuff, which, I w again, we wish had different names for because then it sounds like you're for dangerous and, and toxic work environments. But it's the growth of state power that's driven the lower wage jobs overseas, uh, not the influx of immigrants, but people mistake that, and they veer towards getting mad at the least powerful people in society rather than taking on the most powerful people in society, which is the state and its cohort of media and intellectual toadies. So I think helping people to understand 
that uh, people don't take your job. People don't take your job. Uh, it's not like your average American wants to go out there picking strawberries in 110 degree heat. So I think it's uh, really important to help people to understand that jobs aren't taken from you by people coming to the country. There's not a fixed amount of jobs in the world. This is the old Marxist zero-sum game thing, you know, like if I make money, you must have lost some. So if people understand there's not a fixed amount of jobs in the economy, and if someone else comes and takes a job, that's one job less for the natives. Uh, I think that is something that needs to be uh, opposed as, as vigorously as possible, but um, it is... Uh, is a hard thing for people to understand because they've heard so much nonsense to the contrary. Right. Uh, it looks like Wilton dropped, but he's back now. So, um, uh, Wilton, your thoughts on that? Yeah. Sorry, I had a had a had a phone malfunction. Uh, to the issue of what what do we what do we do? I want to I, I want to echo and emphasize a point that Stephen Casella made, and that's the issue of. Uh, if 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 Arizona takes over control of this issue with uh, with what with, with with what is with what could be called the first step toward decentralization, and and they find out that treating immigrants this way results in a net loss for their for their inhabitants, that's a good thing, right? Ultimately, what we want to have happen is we want to have as little. Uh, authoritarian control from the feds as possible and as, and as much control at the local level as possible so that all these things can be, can be borne out, that we can see what's happening. In terms of, of, uh, of, of what we have to do to make it, make it happen, yeah, clearly the, 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 the drug war is the, is the root of evil for so much of the bad things going on in the States. I mean, quite frankly, most of the violence in the inner city be it, be it uh, native-born or immigrant-born, is because of the drug war, right? And, and, and once we can I, – I don't, I don't know anybody who thinks that the drug war is a good thing, so I'm trying to figure out if, if, it's, if it's as widely accepted as, as, as that, that the drug war is a farce and a complete loss, then, and we can't get that to stop. And we, can't have, we can't have a president like Obama who came in under change is good and hasn't, hasn't made one iota of movement towards ending the drug war, even ending the drug war on, on marijuana, then clearly you can't depend on the state to do, state to do anything that's going to make this, make this better. So it's got to be at the, at, the, at the local level. But I'm, I'm, a, I'm a person who's, who's more of a warrior of the mind. We've got to make sure everyone gets out and understands the kind of things that we're saying tonight, that the, A, the drug war is a farce, that B, you don't have a claim to your job, therefore no one can take no one can take your job from you, right? The the, the employer has a claim; he gives it out to whoever whoever he wants to. And if if, if it's a Mexican this week and an African next week, then that's then that's his choice to make, not 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 yours. So it's economic education as well. Hey, what would you? Yeah, do? I just want. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, uh, Stefan. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, Texas has made some rumblings about secession, kind of fairly tepid, but pretty yeah. strange, you know, pr pretty rare for a governor of a of a major state to even talk about it. And you know, I fantasize and talk to cocktail parties and with regular people around here and talk <laughs> about, you know, we, we should become our own country. And you know, I sort of have this feeling that if, if things get bad enough and if people see enough of advantage, all this patriotism and nationalism will just evaporate and. 
you know, if you can, if people really believe it's a possibility and they could see their federal income tax disappear, of course it would be replaced by something else, but something smaller. Sure. So they might switch allegiance to the Texas flag very easily, and and this wouldn't be an ideal. Of course, it'd still be a state. But I wonder what you guys would think about a compromise or sort of a second or third best solution where you say, listen, here's the only way we can get this done, because if we were to leave the union, we'd have to have some deal and pay the pay the feds off, you know, for the military quote unquote debt or whatever. Um, so we'd have a big debt. So what we could do is we could say, look, we're going to become a free a free market zone open to everyone. Anyone can come here as long as you don't have a criminal record or something like that. But you have to pay. You know, fifty thousand dollars entry fee, one-time entry fee. That's only going to be here for like the next ten years, and then we'll take that money and pay the feds off with it. You know, sort of a ransom. I mean, I have a feeling like this could become the boom economy of the world if we did that. And then after ten years, it'd be just open to all comers. I mean, imagine. Yeah, I think you. Uh, I think you raise a good point. In fact, I think. Uh, the Free State Project in New Hampshire, I think it was a mistake having it in uh, New Hampshire. I'm quite sure they had the good reason that because it was a small state and it, it's it's less people and, you know, you know yada, yada, yada. But um, I, I don't know if there was ever any mention of succession uh, like there has been uh, with Texas over a good number of years. So I don't understand why they never chose Texas and – Maybe they should switch it. It, it has a uh, you know a better climate all year round. It's 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 warmer, um, and um, I think that uh, Texas would have been a better place. Yeah, and it, it still has a cohesive identity, and it used to be a country. Sort of has that kind of image in people's minds that it could be a country again. You know, I was at a party with some some regular people, and I I, I mentioned at the table with the, all these people that I thought Texas should secede, and one of the guys says, "Oh no, that's a myth." And I said, so this shows how, how mired people are in positive law thinking. I didn't say that we had the right to secede under the law, which we do actually. <laughs> he, he was saying, well, you know, he was doing one of these lawyers' things about the, the treaty by which Texas acceded to the union has this language in it, which contemplates the state possibly dividing up into four or five states with Congress's permission, which is what it says. And there's this sort of myth going around that um, – that Texas has the right to secede or divide up into states if it wants to, which it doesn't. So, you know, I say Texas should secede, and he says, oh, no, that's a myth. So he, he right away jumps to the positive law justification, and I said, I'm not saying they have the legal right to. I'm saying that they should, you know, and, and it's, this kind of language perplexes the modern the modern ape. Well, I think, right. sorry, just to clarify something about New Hampshire. Uh, New Hampshire, I believe, was chosen because – uh, in case it doesn't work out and they have to make a run for it, uh, they really want to be closer to Canada than to Mexico <laughs> because then they'll have to face trying to get back yeah, in. That would it, yeah. it's open, it's somewhat frozen arms. Uh, so I just think that's uh, that, that. I hope that clears that up at least. Or, or to get medical care, right, right, Stephen? Yeah, yeah, because you know they could get wounded and they'll need to come across and get this wonderful socialized medicine, and we'll be happy to put them on a waiting list. So uh, that's. Uh, <laughs> You know, I well, gotta tell you, well, I do think it's, I do think it's kind of disappointing the degree to which, like, it's still so easy to get us sort of to get citizens to turn on each other, so to speak. I mean, that that to me is still yeah, something that exactly. is mildly disappointing. That even after all of these, uh, you know, let's hang together, let's be a team, and so on. That it's it's very easy, still so easy to get people angry at immigrants. You know, when 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 you know, it's really not. You know, the national debt and the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, they're not 
caused by a freaking cherry picker in Arizona. You know, it's just so astounding to me that there's still this, you know, it's them who are the problem. It's like, everybody grab a pitchfork and you know, the brands and let's go get them because they're the problems. And, you know, whoever is telling you they're the problem over there, that's the guy who's the problem. Whoever's pointing you at that group and saying those are the guys who are causing all your troubles, guaranteed that is the guy who's actually causing all your troubles and he's just making up some scapegoats to have you go charge over there. But it is, to me, still quite shocking the degree to which this is still so easy. I don't exactly know where it comes from, but, but it is quite disappointing. Seth, and you know, that, that reminds you of that great line from the money speech in, on Atlas Shrugged uh, where she says something, or Francisco says something like, uh, whoever, the guy who says that money's the root of all evil, uh, whoever says that, hold on to your wallets and watch out because he's coming for your wallet. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's exactly right. I'm, I'm always suspicious. I'm, not, I'm never looking at where the guy's pointing. I'm always looking at who's pointing, and it's like, exactly. oh, yeah, okay, so you're, you're the troublemaker. You're the real problem. Right? You know, I, I, I do... I do want to make one other point about about what we do next, and that's and 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 I'm I, I spent some time as an activist in a in a, in a previous life, so I'm always a, a little bit reticent to talk, to talk about steps we take, step one, step two, step three, and at the end of step five, we got no stake. But uh, Professor Hopper, as, as as Stephen mentioned way earlier on, uh, makes makes a point that I think is that I think is quite outstanding, and that's the fact that. State control, as we know it, is based upon popular consent. There's an, it, 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 it seems awesome and, and powerful, but it's really quite tenuous because basically if, if so many people didn't believe in it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work. Right? That's, that's, that's why you've got so many rank and file worried about Mexicans or South Americans or whomever, because it's easy to get people fighting against each other for some reason. But still, it's based on what we believe in. So popular consent drives all this. Once we can get that to go away, then it's almost over, I think. And how we get to that point, now that I'm not quite so sure of. But I am convinced. And how many illegal immigrants work for Goldman Sachs? You know, I don't think that's maybe that's one guy in the mailroom who's really edgy, but I, I just can't <laughs> imagine that there's a how many illegal immigrants did you see layered out uh, like a whole bunch of Michelin men in front of Congress recently explaining away why they had to drive gold plated cars uh, <laughs> to get to exactly where they needed right. to go. Not even, I mean, not even those people. of all the dangers to the U.S. economy, I just, you know, guys washing your car compared to guys with future swaps selling off your children to the Chinese, it's just completely insane the degree to which people just go, oh, yeah, there's a problem. You know, guys, guys down, at, down in Miami wearing, uh, wearing uh, uh, yard blowers all day are not, are not the reason why we've got a bad economy, right? So, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, they're, <laughs> they're I, just I, I trying to survive like everybody else. It's a, I do find it a little bit annoying when people have this sort of a conventional economic comment that, well, we need the Mexicans because there are certain jobs Americans won't do. And, you know, of course, that's, that's nonsense. I mean, they won't do it at that price, right? I mean, <laughs> we could get lettuce picked, of course, if we even if we seal the borders off. It just might cost 30 bucks an hour. Right. 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 It, 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 there's a, that, that, any, any of that stuff? Also, sort of reflects again both an, an, an ignorance of economics 
as well as in ignorance of, well, that's why the stuff costs so cheap when you go to the store. So you got it. So you get you get it on both ends, right? I agree. And um, you know, I was going to add one point earlier about um, Stefan. You, you're right that people turn on each other, but there's this weird sort of compartmentalization or disconnect because. You know, most people, at least say in Houston here, there's a huge uh, Mexican population, and it's widespread for people to hire Mexicans and know that they're reliable, and, and half the time they're illegal and no one cares, and you'll have a nanny or you'll have a you know, a, sure. a, a yard person or something like that. And they, they protect and treat those people well because they know them, right? And yet if they were anonymous, they would say they should be locked up and ex- deported. It's sort of it, it, it's sort of a weird Orwellian disconnect in people's minds. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I think we are designed as a species to work in groups of 30 to 60 or maybe 90. I just, we, we can't, that's why governments and countries you mean, you mean fundamentally don't work, because we lose empathy for people beyond our immediate social circle. And it's very easy to demonize, you know, what they call the other or the people who are foreign or, or different or distant. Uh, and that's why, to me, I think you know, an anarchic society without a state would work so much better because it's much more in common with what our capacity for empathy, even though most sensitive among us, are actually capable of of achieving. Right. Um, you mentioned uh, about uh, New Hampshire being close to Canada, and if it failed, they could just run across into Canada. Well, couldn't we just run from Texas to Mexico? <laughs> if, if the whole thing was shifted to Texas, I, I well, think, you could, I but I, I think if you look at the number of illegal immigrants going south as opposed to uh, north, can't uh, call, you, you can't call them illegal immigrants. I'm sorry, they, these are people that want to move. Remember, these are movers. <laughs> no, that's right. That's right. Most of us, most of us pick most of us would pick uh, Canada over Mexico. I have to say, even with the cold. <laughs> okay, um, I want to. Uh, of course, as well, uh, you you say that you know people you know um, use you know you know bad thoughts against these people that move here. And I want to bring your attention to a uh, article um, and, a, and a video. I don't have the audio from the video, but an article that was um, on uh, an, 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 a, a newscast that was on uh, KRO TV, and um, where police uh, the, there's a video taken of police uh, attacking um, somebody that they thought was uh, somebody that moved from another country uh, to here uh, under the law illegally, as they say. And uh, this was in Seattle, and um, uh, it, it basically says that uh, Seattle city leaders expressed shock and disappointment Friday at a video for, uh, that first aired on KRO7 Eyewitness News showing two scale police officers kicking a man as he lay on the ground. The man was detained during a robbery investigation last month. The two officers had been reassigned uh, as police conduct and investigation amid a firestorm of reaction. And another con- uh, controversy has arisen over why a Seattle TV station declined to air the video. And uh, the racially charged videotape shows officers stomping on the innocent detainee after uh, they responded to several 911 calls to report of an armed robbery in a parking lot of a nightclub near Lake Union. And in this video, basically, what happens is that a, uh, uh, an officer, the, the guy moves his hand to wipe his eye, and the officer stamps on his face and on his hand, and then there's a female officer that stamps on another one's, uh, on, on his leg. Now, what this 
was because somebody allegedly got robbed and the cops, this guy was nowhere near the scene, but because he uh, looked uh, like a, an illegal, um, sorry, I'm using that word again, somebody that moved <laughs> to the country, they decided to uh, pull him over and, uh, and uh, question him, and uh, obviously it led to violence. So my, my point is on this, that uh, violence is being used on uh, people that they think are uh, people that have moved to this country as um, immigrants, and um, they're not. Um, and this is just another way uh, that the state can justify uh, stopping somebody. Um, I'll go back to uh, Stephen Kinsella, uh, his thoughts on it. I'll post the actual URL. Um, yeah, I, I've URL. seen that, and I, I, I mean, it's not, it's not surprising. This is what happens when the government um, you know, is in charge. I mean, the, the, one, the, one, you know, the, the one thing I think we can hope for is that technology and video cameras, you know, the Internet is going to help expose a lot of this stuff. Um, which is what's good about that. But let me ask you a question. You you, you expressed a, uh, a reservation about labeling these people as illegal immigrants. Uh, I mean, why is that they are illegal immigrants? I mean, they shouldn't be, right? But it is illegal to immigrate without the state's permission. So what's what's the problem with accurately describing their legal status? Ah, good question. Uh, why do I fail? That well, who who is somebody else to make a a law? Um, you know, who, who are these people? Who you know? Why do they have this authority? Just because somebody had an election and uh, people voted for these people, now they think that they're God and they can make these laws and say, oh, it's illegal now if you if you cross this imaginary line. Um, it's like a victimless crime. You know, who is to say that if the speed limit's 45 on a highway and you're doing 55, um, I would didn't vote you, for that person. Would you say that like, cocaine possession is not illegal or that it shouldn't be illegal? I, I wouldn't uh, say that it was I, – I wouldn't say it's illegal. Cocaine possession, I wouldn't say it's illegal. Okay. Because, it is illegal. You know, <laughs> it shouldn't be, but it is. Um, if – uh, was that Stefan uh, Kinsella that asked why about the uh, using the term illegal immigrants? Yeah, because I've heard this. I've heard this, and I, I'm with you on the substance. It's just that I sort of there's a sort of blending of rhetoric and strategy, rhetoric with truth, and and I'm 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 the type that I'm hostile. I'm opposed to this notion, which I don't think James is doing, but this idea that you know the people that say I'm against labels, you know, I'm like, well, we're, we're conceptual beings. There's nothing wrong with labels. Now, in, in, in this case, there's sort of this positive law problem. There's sort of an attempt to – there's an, it's sort of like it's a sneaky attempt, and I admire it because we're on the side of right, but there's a sneaky attempt to use semantics and labels to try to get the underlying reality changed. When Personally, I think we should admit the reality, which is that it is illegal to do X, Y, and Z because the government is in control of the legal system. It shouldn't be, but it, it is illegal. Um, and then to, then to argue that it shouldn't be illegal or that, or that the law is unjust. But to say it's not a law seems to me to be um, um, inaccurate. Right. I understand what you're saying about, um, uh, you know, it's obviously uh, illegal to cross an imaginary line with uh, permission from persons X, Y, and Z. Um, I personally don't like the term illegal immigrant um, or illegal alien. I 
uh, things like that, I find them very dehumanizing. I find that when you just apply this big blanket term to a group of people, um, it makes it easier for some people to see them as somehow less deserving of rights that we take for granted, just basic uh, rights. Oh, no, I agree. But to me, the, and everything. I, I, no, I, I agree is, that, you know, you have to say, yeah, well, they, you know, they did. They, they broke this law. This law shouldn't be. Yeah, but it's but just I, the I, law I, that's I dehumanizing. It's, it's, the, it's the government's law that's dehumanizing. All right, and I right. agree with you completely. But I, recognizing the law for what it is is not dehumanizing. It's dehumanizing to have the law enforced. Not at all. I think when I when I'm talking with people who favor things like SB 1070 and you know things like border walls, I you know I, I find um that getting that uh, telling them I find that term offensive usually leads them to asking me why, and um, then I can usually it gives me an opening to get in you know, my point and to try to make them see my view and maybe think about it a little bit. Um, when you, you know, it's the same thing when you, you know, you hear about people being killed in, um, by the soldiers and, you know, Pakistan, Afghanistan or what have you. Um, they're always identified as militants, Islamic militants, um, Islamofascists. They're not identified as, you know, uh, you know, they're not fathers, they're not mothers, they're, you know, they're not children, they're not students, they're not people who have hopes and dreams. They're just, you know, it's a blanket term to make, um, Mistreatment of them easier to you know, and I I, I think um if you if you call people out on that and if, I, most of us I think here talking um see things that way. So if you kind of if if you take I if you can work it into a conversation that way, I usually I usually try to. I understand. I just have personally have an innate revulsion to faking terms for strategic purposes, which I know everyone doesn't see it that way, but I you know I just hate it. I just I just like to call things like they are and then go from there. But I, I can see the strategic value of what you're saying. I just think for, for me that way, I, I keep breaking it down, uh, keeping it simple, um, and uh, trying to make it personal for people. For me personally, just um, it, I usually find that I can get further. It works for me. It mm. doesn't work for everyone, at all, for everyone, of course. Uh, no, but I mean, it reminds me of like, the way, the way uh, Mr. Molino said, um, you know, okay, you know, you're calling them immigrants. We just want to say they're moving. Um, no, I like not. that one. I agree with that one. That's that's right. that's a good description of what they're doing. They are moving, right? I exactly. agree. Exactly. And you know, when you when you when people you know <laughs> give you that opening to get in a term there and get in your own opinion, it's it's an opportunity for for education. So I always I jump on that whenever I can. Mm-hmm. Someone in my I, chat room just said that we should uh, call them world travelers as opposed to illegal aliens. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's round up all those world travelers and throw them into dungeons for traveling. That's quite controversial. I, uh, I think another tragedy that uh, is, is something that needs to be addressed by the libertarian community and the general population's thinking is this idea that cops are just like an, an implement, like a, a hoe or a rake or something that you can just use without consequences. And I think we all understand I think even the general public understands that if, even if all they've done is watch cop shows on TV, they understand that the drug war has corrupted the police force. I mean, not just the drug war, but it's had a significant effect because uh, they just get bought off. I mean, that's how drugs move around. The, the cops have all the guns, but the drug dealers have more money, and so they, they buy protection from the cops, and it corrupts the, the police force. And I have not seen any reference in the mainstream media for sure, I wasn't really expecting it, but even in much alternative literature, just with people saying, well, what is this going to do to the police force? When you have these new powers, when you have people who have money, uh, who want to move people around in the same way that people have money and they want to move drugs around, 
that uh, its its effect on corrupting the police force is going to be pretty significant, if not enormous. And uh, I, I wonder why people don't have more concern about that, even in the general uh, the sway of things. But it's not something I've... Have you guys read or heard much about that concern? Because it was guessed about or, or predicted with the drug war, and it turned out to be very true, but it's not really with these expansions of powers of stopping an arrest, uh, which is just going to lead to more bribery. And, of course, it's going to lead to a huge industry in the faking of, uh, of documents, right? Uh, so um, uh, the, the corruption of the police force, I think, is, is pretty scary. And it's going to make the police do a bunch of stuff they don't want to do. I mean, not all cops are nutty and, and, and nasty. I mean, up here in Canada, I read an article about uh, a cop is writing that he stopped over some guy who was in an accident. And, of course, if you're an illegal immigrant up here in Canada, and I'm sure it's the same in the States, you're, you're a very good driver. I, actually, I think that's a really great <laughs> argument for there being no, uh, no licenses and insurance requirements because uh, there's no better driver than an illegal immigrant because he can't get pulled over. If anybody's not speeding, it's either me and a Volvo or it's an illegal immigrant. So, uh, and he, the cop pulled him over, and the cop was like, oh, you know, I really don't want to do this. I mean... It's a guy, he's telling me, he's showing me pictures of his wife and his kid, and they're all here illegally, and they're living in a basement. And, and he ended up just letting the guy go, which I thought was a very humane thing to do. But if you've got the kinds of people who really like chasing people down and grabbing their papers and hauling them off to jail, you're, you're inviting a whole different kind of animal into the police force, and they're not just going to stay with harassing uh, the people you don't like. Right. Mariana? I think that's absolutely true. Uh, since the very people who shouldn't possess power are those who are attracted to it, uh, and and frankly, also because the number of so-called law enforcement officers who will need to be hired to handle the additional burden above and beyond what they already handle, that means, um, and we've seen this as it has happened in, in the military, the standards for recruitment get lower and lower and lower until finally you're looking at a pool of people who are more criminal than they are not. So, I mean, it's very predictable what's, what's going to happen. You will uh, attract those who enjoy power over others, those who are corruptible, and those who are either criminal or insane. And I don't think that bodes very well. Uh, I, I think that somebody needs to look into investing heavily in the business of helping people fabricate documents. <laughs> I, I, I don't have a lot of hope about using the political process to fix this. You know, I mean, no, I, yes, I, I, Stefan Kinsella, I agree with you when you say, well, yes, they are illegal immigrants. Well, okay, um, I don't see a lot of hope in using the political process to undo that. So at, at this point, I feel like all the efforts need to be put into counter-economic black market agorist pursuits both locally and as, as, as broad scope as possible when it comes to industries that support the faking of documents because it's just going to get worse. It's going to get worse. I want these people to be sheltered from harm. Um, I do too. I'm not sure that either one's going to work. I mean, sometimes we have to accept that we live in a status world where there's a lot of rampant systematic crime and it's going to continue for a long time. But I don't want to accept it. I, I I know some of the, the, the finest minds in, in the world, and, and there there has to be an alternative. I don't want to have to accept the state. That seems like a slippery, slippery slope into nihilistic oblivion to me. That's the way we're heading. Um, it, this is Stefan's turn to jump in now. He's good at nihilistic oblivion. <laughs> okay. 
Maybe not. Fake. Stefan, Molyneux. Did we lose him? Uh, yes. Uh, are you uh, you looking for some nihilistic ability? And I I don't have much. I'm fresh out. Um, but uh, I mean, if if the talk is turning to the solution, I mean, I'm sure that my solution, which I can provide in about 30 seconds, is is fairly well known. But um, uh, the the research that I've done and the subject matter experts that I've talked to and experiences with my own life, my own listeners, has just led me to believe that it is going to be a multi-generational solution. And uh, the the key issue is to uh, is involved in, in parenting, right? In, in raising children uh, in a peaceful manner, in raising children to be good negotiators and to be confident and to raise children with no fear of authority, let those children into For sure, those children are never going to become IRS agents and cops and have a lust for power to make up for some deficiency in their own personality. So I think it's just a matter of really trying to communicate as, as many peaceful and positive parenting solutions as possible. Oh, there's a lot of peas in that word, <laughs> in that phrase. And that's, that's the solution. It's a multi-generational solution, which is involved in just better, peaceful, voluntaristic, non-violent, non-aggressive parenting. Uh, that's the only way to soothe the jets of anger and hatred in the world that I can think of. And it's something that, of course, most of us can do or at least influence within our own lives. And I don't want to move the topic way off, off that, but, but since we were talking about solutions, that's sort of my, uh, my two cents worth. Well, you know, it, it could also be like, like scientific revolutions, right? Like Kuhn's model of scientific revolutions, that you just have to wait for the old, peop- old generations to die out. I mean, people are, are not going to change their minds at a certain point. It's the way it looks like it, you know, society is and human, the human nature is. And I think you're right, Steph, when we educate the younger generations and they become more tolerant and more um, – uh, you know, I mean, I, I was thinking uh, on a slightly related note the, just the other day. I, I have this new iPad, which Stefan and I were actually chatting about earlier, and there's this application for this magic piano, and you can just play – you can press a button and play a duet with someone, and it picks someone around the world, right? Oh, awesome. So, all of a sudden, someone in Ecuador or somewhere pops up, and you, you see that you're both playing notes with each other. And I'm thinking, you know, if the world was like this 50 years ago, 100 years ago, would there have been a World War II? You know, if people saw each other as just people on the planet and not Germans and, and you know, and whatever. And, I mean, I do think that, I mean, you know, the, every generation that comes out, you can see the change. The young kids now, they don't get they don't get landlines. They don't get cable TV. They're not as conservative and Archie Bunker grumpy as you know our parents were. Um, you know, may, maybe there, may, maybe there's hope, but I think it's going to take generational change. Well, I think that's indubitable, and I think that there's lots of research that seems to indicate that significant progresses in human society, such as the Renaissance and the Enlightenment, and and so on, were almost all preceded by significant improvements in in parenting. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there's a theory which says that, for instance, old scientific theories never die. It's just the supporters eventually snuff it. And there does seem to be a certain rigidity that sets in after a certain time with people that they don't want to change their minds. But, but yeah, the hope, uh, the hope is in the young. You know, the, the hope, uh, I guess Winston Smith thought it was in the proles, but I think that the hope is, uh, is in the young. And the hope is that uh, uh, they will be raised in such a way that they will look upon authority as an anachronism. You know, in the same way that when we look at negative or destructive authority uh, now, uh, for those of us who are raised, I was raised, you know, I was in boarding school, there was caning, there was lots of aggression against children. And uh, even in England, I was reading a statistic recently that said that um, and up until quite recently, and I'm not sure what the statistic is now, but this was a decade and a half ago, uh, 80% of British mothers struck their infants before the age of one year old and quite regularly. And 
that is going to lead people to grow up with a fear of authority. And that translates very well into priests, that translates very well into public school teachers, and that translates very well into policemen in the state. And if we can raise children without any aggression, uh, with negotiation, with peace, uh, and with, uh, 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 with love, I mean, it's hard to really think that, that striking children and loving them occur at the same moment, then I think we're going to end up with a, a solution to the problem of, of oligarchical hierarchy, which is that children who are treated as rights-bearing uh, agents, I think as Stefan said recently, are treated as rights-bearing agents with their own uh, thoughts and feelings and never physically aggressed against and never have voices raised against them in the home, they're going to grow up and they're going to look at the state as an anachronism in the same way that we look at racism as an anachronism from history and we look further back and, and we see extreme sexism as an anachronism, uh, an anachronism from history. It's just some, the state is something we have to outgrow. It's not something we can outfight. We, just, we have to outgrow it, and I think that is a multi-generational yeah, solution. Great point. Stefan, what, was your, what did you do to deserve getting caned? Oh, I, um, uh, I kicked a ball... Uh, over a wall, and I climbed over the wall to get it back, and uh, hmm. that was uh, you know, obvious, that was very much obvious caning. Yeah. Obvious caning. And, yeah. and see, all I was doing was I was moving. <laughs> I was a world traveler. <laughs> it all comes back to where I started. That's where Singapore got it from. <laughs> yeah, it's um, uh, you. You know, Stefan and Molyneux is right. I mean, we have to educate people. And uh, the younger generation, um, I see a lot of them, especially on Facebook, that are in these, uh, you know, anarchy groups. And they're all over the world. These, you know, these, these, these younger people, they're, um, you know, anywhere from the age of like 17 upwards. And they're in these anarchy groups. And um, it's, you know, I ask them, you know, why are you anarchist? And they say, well, you know, I just don't like the way that government, you know, murders people in faraway countries. Uh, that's one of them. I don't like the way that, you know, government uses its so-called authority to make people do things that they uh, don't want to do or stop them from doing something that they do want to do, even, even though they're not hurting anybody. You know, and these are the these are the things that they're telling me. You know, I'm asking them, why are you an anarchist? You know, I think it's wrong that uh, I'm having money stolen from me. You know, uh, I'm rejecting the state, and you know, I'm rejecting my government. I, I don't like it. I don't think it's I don't think it's right. These you know, these are bullies. I'm being bullied. I'm being made to do something I don't want to do. Um, so it, it's it's coming. I think it can come a lot quicker if people pick up and do, you know, what Stefan Molyneux is doing. Um, you know, I started this radio show on a Friday night, you know, and now I'm doing four, I'm doing four shows a week. And um, if more people, you know, get information out to other people and people come and listen and, you know, they may have this status mind and say, you know what, um, these people that are talking tonight on this radio show, they do have a valid argument uh, about you know, using force against people. And yet, who am I uh, to stop somebody crossing the imaginary line when they're not hurting anybody? You know? um, maybe we should change things. You know, maybe you think if, you know, world, the world should be different. Maybe 
I shouldn't have my money stolen from me to load up a plane with bombs and drop it on innocent women and children in another country somewhere. Um, and if we can educate people on you know, how coercive government is and how it monopolizes things, which it does, uh, then I think, and there's enough people doing this, and we're reaching out, I think we can make a drastic change and bring about that change uh, quicker. And I want to I take it over now to um, Wilton. Yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you, everything you said. I think that it's interesting that everyone on the call tonight, <clears throat> of the four of us, three of us, the three of, three of us, know each other and, and, and interact on a, on, a, on a pretty regular basis. In fact, four of us are, are, are all, you know, Facebook friends or whatever. Three of us write regularly, speak regularly. So so we're all warriors of the of the mind. And as Steph, and as Steph mentioned, <clears throat> we, we, we've all got kids. So we're trying to try to convey that basic understanding of Authority doesn't doesn't mean you've got a right to a right to go against morality, and the 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 the, the, the basic goodness of, of the idea of peace, right? But we've we've also got a pretty big battle ahead of us because the entire state is based upon maintaining that those things do make sense. The public school system is based upon <clears throat> indoctrination of the of the goodness of the collective. USA, USA, uh, Church of Allegiance, all those kinds of things. So, but yet and still, I run across kids all, all, all the time who understand that that's just crap. So, so I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a, a, a cynic or a, a nihilist, although I do have my nihilist days. Uh, I just think that it, think that, think that, that it didn't get this way overnight, and we can't make it go back overnight. It's a it's a it's a it's a long term battle, but it's a battle that we can win in the mind. <clears throat> well, and I also just wanted to just very briefly add that the inertia of society should give us great hope for the future, because if human beings can be so fundamentally dedicated to radical error, and and so conservative in resisting change towards you know truth and reason and peace and light and all that dewy-eyed good stuff. Imagine how stable society is going to be when human beings are both conservative, which is natural, I think, to humanity, and right and peaceful. I think it's going to be a permanent change, and I think that's something to really do to look forward to. Good point. All right. Mariana? I agree with, with, with Stefan. I, I think we're actually probably on uh, a precipice, and it's, it's impossible to really fully perceive where we stand in time right now. Uh, but we are at a point of accelerating consciousness individually and, and together as, as, a, as a human race. And I can say this because it took me till about 40 to really start to become exposed to and then process and understand the ideas of liberty and, and peace in a genuine way. But my son is 19 and he's there already and my daughter is 8. And she's already talking about things with her friends on the bus and in school. She's already hypersensitive to the issues of the state, which already uh, affect her. Just one example. 
uh, it's ironic because Junior Achievement uh, is a program. You probably haven't heard of it, Stefan Molyneux, because it's, it's, I'm pretty sure it's unique to the United States. Junior Achievement was a, a program when I was in high school that came in and, and taught children how to be entrepreneurial. And when she told me that they were coming to the school, I said, oh, great, wonderful, excellent. This is, this is a really good lesson. And then she came home, and it was all about this career day that had been absolutely railroaded by the state. And she said, yeah, and they, they made me, they tried to make me be a police officer. And I said, I don't want to be a police officer. I don't, I don't want to do that job. That's not a good job. So oh, that's great. I'll, yeah, and she was able to say that in a semi-public setting in front of her peers. And why that is revolutionary is because the ideas of liberty and of peace and, and, and self-directedness are intrinsic to us as human beings. It is the abusive public school system that assists the state in beating those ideas out of us. So what if there is a child sitting in that classroom who said, hey, wait a minute, really? Because I always thought that was kind of true too. Or even to begin as a point of inquiry for those children to hear something else than the status quo, if you will, is, is revolutionary. Because I don't think that you can smash the state from without. Um, you can subvert it. You can make it obsolete. And, and it happens person by person. You, bring, you don't bring people to liberty en masse. It happens individual by individual. So uh, if, if I have two children and, and they are pro-liberty and they speak their mind and they are unafraid of authority, we are, in effect, a micro-revolution of our own. Um, Stefan Kinsella? Oh, well, I mean, I just have to say I agree with a lot of this. and It, it, it does make me think that... Um, I mean, there's so much potential with our children, and and uh, uh, it seems like uh, the, the people here are doing good jobs with theirs. I know, I know, mine is six, and he's already doing what uh, you know. These, these sort of uh, uh, he's he's fighting he's fighting what he's hearing in school and things like that. Uh, it is sometimes shocking to me. You know, I I know these uh, world famous uh, Austro libertarians, and I've met some of their children, and they're 20, 21, 23, and you know, they're just like some of them are just social leftist lefties or totally apathetic, and I don't quit. I don't quite get how that happened because most of the people I know that are really into it, like some of us here are, we're doing a damn good job of educating our kids about it. You know, I, I do think it's possible. Right. Are you guys up for taking some calls? We are coming up to the last uh, 21 minutes of the show. Do you Do you have something to say, Mandy? No. Uh, let them take some calls if they're up for it. You guys up I'm for the Yeah, I'm okay. Sure, I'm okay, okay with it too. <laughs> All right, we have a caller that's been waiting very patiently from area code uh, 267. Your name, you're on the air. Hi, my name is Kevin Tilsner. I have uh, a perspective that's kind of coming from uh, Mr. Mono's uh, human farming part two, which I just posted on a uh, Facebook page of mine. And I guess my question comes down to how is it that since we have all of our money tied up in central banking, um, that immigration becomes an issue at all considering we are all living on pretty much the same farm since 
throughout the world, there's nothing but central banks. And realistically, the only, I believe the only country on the planet is, um, that is Panama that doesn't actually have a central bank as part of their system. I, I just feel like you guys have been neglecting economics this evening, although I really appreciate what you've been speaking of thus far. I'll turn it over to you guys Stefan? now. Thank you. All right, thank you. Stefan Molyneux? Stefan Molyneux? It looks like... Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hello. Looks like you dropped. Okay, go ahead. Hello. You dropped, didn't you? Yeah, you're back. Hello. I'm, yeah, I'm can you back. hear me? Yeah, I yes, can hear you're you. Back. <laughs> okay, so it was that a more specific question to me, and I, I think I understood the question, which was, um, uh, since we're all, you know, in the metaphor that I use, is sort of tax livestock for uh, for the state state owners, uh, why is there such a fuss about immigration? Well. We are a peculiar form of livestock, too, you know, and I'm sorry if you're not familiar with the metaphor, but you can have a look at, uh, I've got a video just sought by my most popular that that's explains this in more detail, but we are a peculiar form of livestock insofar as we produce best when we think that we're free. And so uh, there is a problem. So in the Middle Ages, people didn't imagine that they were politically free and they produced very little as a consequence. But when you believe that you're free and you have some genuine economic and, and uh, political and uh, particularly property rights privileges, then you produce much better uh, as, as livestock. You get 10 times the milk by letting the cow wander around a little more. And so uh, the, the problem is that uh, when, when people begin to suspect that they're not very free, they tend to become rather depressed and inert, which is one reason why, of course, socialist economies don't work, along with all the great Mises arguments about you know, price can't allocate things and so on. People get kind of depressed. When they, don't, when they get that they're not free and depressed people aren't very productive. And so I think that people need to, they need to maintain the illusion that they're free, which is why they don't like to restrain the power of the state because that will reveal to them how non-free they really are. And so immigrants coming in uh, it reminds people that the state has a lot of power, reminds people that the state can really mess up people's lives if it wants to by hounding them and taking away their papers and, and uh, chasing them all over the place and deporting them and so on. And so people don't like to feel that. They like to feel that they're free. And, of course, the people who run the state, and I'm not saying this is any kind of conscious conspiracy. Human beings have a great knack for owning uh, other human beings because we're so productive. It's just an instinct that, that people have evolved because it's so, so useful. And so I think that uh, immigration remains an issue because there's an us versus them. You need to have the loyalty to the country, and that needs to be a cohesive group. And when you have a cohesive group, you automatically create enemies who are unlike yourself, who threaten that group identity and so on. So you need to get that Stockholm syndrome with your own government and that of necessity is going to create a fear, anxiety and hostility towards outside groups. Uh, and I know that's not a very specific or detailed answer, but that's uh, what I can come up with off the top of my head, if that makes sense. Right. Uh, Stefan Kinsler, uh, do you want to uh, comment on that? Um. No, I, I don't have anything else, else I should add. I, w I wasn't quite clear on the question, actually. Okay. Uh, Wilton? No, I don't have anything to add either. I mean, I, I think it is – I mean, it's, it's in the state's interest, right, to have us think, to, to, to give us just enough freedom that, that we won't revolt, but keep just enough 
control so that it maintained those who were making the most money at the top. Right? I've 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 written on this a couple of different times for Lou Rockwell. How the how the Fed every time there's a every time there's a reallocation of deficit 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 spending and inflationary action, it funnels money systemically away from the lower quartiles to the higher quartiles. Well, those are that that's the same oligarchy that's 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 also benefiting from most status control of industry, most most uh, uh, political power, the the Halliburtons of the world, the the uh, 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 the, the the Wall Street people of the world. So so it's pretty it's pretty clear that as as Steph mentioned, they want to have livestock, but they want them to be sort of happy, right? If you if you kind of step if you kind of step back and look at it, even the issue of owning a home, right? You 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 can own it, but you but you don't really own it because if you don't pay your taxes, they can take it, which is a tiny percentage of the overall cost of a home, but points to who the real owner is. So I mean I'm not sure that that there's that there's more I can add than what Steph said, but but clearly the 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 economic issue is why the state exists. Right, Mariana. I don't have anything to add right now, actually. Okay. Uh, Mandy? Uh, no, I. I just want to go back to what Will said about the house. And, yeah, I mean, you, you don't really own your house. You don't really own anything. And you you have this illusion that you do. And, uh, like you said, you don't pay your taxes, and uh, and they take it. So um, it's, all, it's all control, and uh, people – well, I'm not saying not everybody doesn't see the control, but um, the majority of people don't. And it's like what Stefan said in um, his, one of his videos, you know, everybody's cheering for, you know, USA, USA, one team and, and another team, and there's, there's, really, there's really no difference. Um, education is key. Education is key here on educating um, the up-and-coming uh, people and trying to have get them to have an understanding of what the state is that the state is you know uh, coercion violence that uh, taxation's theft and um, how it um, brainwashes at an early age uh, children to thinking that they you know need to be re, re, relying on the state. Um, which we don't, you know, the state doesn't build roads. This, this, the state doesn't uh, purify water. Um, these are human beings. These are individuals that do this. And if these were all uh, private companies that were doing this, then and we would we were all doing this peacefully, the world would be a you know far far better place. But of course, right now it's not. We have these uh, governments, and they utilize their um, power to make people do things that uh, they don't want to do, and stop people from doing things that they do want to do. Um, and what I'm talking about is things that aren't hurting. You know, nobody's getting hurt. Um, 
And uh, that's just a, all I wanted to add um, to to that. You know, James, um, you, you just mentioned. Can I interject something? You mentioned that um, under the current law, people don't really own their their homes, for example. And right. and and I think you're correct, but when you say that, you're buying into the um, the the positive law conceptions of the state, which I think is actually accurate. I mean, I, I point out to people all the time that, you know, that, that all these people that, that debate over whether you should own or rent a house, and I always say, well, you, you, never own, you never do anything but rent a house. Even if you buy it and pay off the mortgage, you still pay X thousand dollars a year in property tax alone to the government. Otherwise, they'll take it from you like a landlord. In fact, they are a landlord. They're the overlord in the common law sense. In fact, we still have feudalism in the United States, literally still have feudalism in that sense. Um, even the states which have uh, – the, the three or four states in the beginning of the country which declared a lodialism, um, the, those states still maintain the power to tax property. So basically we don't have ownership, but that is a recognition of the power of the government which is real and does exist and the recognition of the law. So ownership is the right to own, right? It's the legal right of ownership. So I would say that actually the government is the underlying base owner of all property in the country, or at least they assert that right right now and they enforce it to a large degree. Sure, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I just bought a new home, and when I signed the, uh, the last papers, the realtor came to look at me and said, how does it feel to be a homeowner? And I said, well, I wouldn't know. I said, I'm still renting from the government. And uh, he, <laughs> no, I, I, this was just this past Friday. I just closed on my home, and um, he laughed. He said, "No, that's not true." And I said, "Well, no." I said, "They'll come take it if I don't pay certain taxes. They'll take it if I don't have certain types of insurance." And many of it they underwrite. Um, as some, you know, I have to have flood insurance, and you know, that's all through FEMA. And you know, if, if they decide that they want it, and I paid, even though I, you know, I paid my taxes and I'm up to date on everything, um, they can take it, you know, via eminent domain because they decide that one of their buddies needs my land. Um, it's you really you can't really own anything. The same goes, you know, even with you know my car. You know, I pay it's paid off. I own it, but I don't own it because I'm forced to pay taxes on it. I'm forced to, you know, have all kinds of uh, regulations and this and that and jump through hoops just to keep it. Um, it can be taken off me at any time, just you know because you know that massive piece of paper that says they can. Um, it's and it was a really hard concept. I mean, I I really had a hard time getting him to understand it, and he just kept looking at me like I was mad. Right. They think you're crazy because um, they don't have the notion to think, well, yeah, if anybody doesn't pay – they think the taxation is something that has to be handed over. It's for the, it's for the greater good. It's for the greater good. It's for the better good of, of people, of mankind. It, it helps everybody. And um, it, it, things can be done a lot cheaper. And on on a uh, voluntary basis, if the state was out of the way, and uh, that's the problem that I have, that you know the force is used against the individual, and um, they're doing nothing wrong. Um, in the words of Harry Brown, um, if you really want to cure a pressing social problem, problem. Uh, take steps outside the realm of government. If you don't see how you can convince people to help you succeed in a non-governmental endeavor, 
how can you expect to control politicians who care nothing for your desires? And if you really want to make a noticeable difference, if you really want to improve life, do something for yourself or your family today. That's where you have real control, and that's where you don't need to rely on politicians or anyone else, and you can make sure the results are as you intended. And as a society, that is, you know, what we should do, and that's, you know, I feel that's what we should be, you know, educating people on. Um, Stefan Kinsella, do you have a website that you want to um, give a shout out about? Stefan Kinsella? Oh, sorry, I had my mute button on. I was talking. Yes, <laughs> I would like to just plug my uh, my latest blog, which is uh, the Libertarian Standard, which is Libertarian Standard dot. Uh, dot com I think or dot org and it's uh, a group blog with several uh, very principled um, and fun um, anarcho libertarian friends of mine so it's just libertarian standard dot let me just check real quick here yeah libertarian standard dot com okay and uh, Mariana yes um you're now um, helping out with uh, uh, C4SS.org, correct? That is correct. I was very honored to be okay. brought aboard just a, a few days ago, actually, about a week and a half. Um, now handling both the development and social media uh, aspects for the Center for a Stateless Society. Uh, we recently had a, a very successful monthly uh, fund drive, and there are lots of really great things going on including the addition of uh, Anna Morgenstern as, as an author, in addition to an ongoing class that Gary Chartier is doing uh, on anarchy. So there are great things happening at the Circle A, as I like to say. Okay. That's great. Good and uh, Wil Wilton? Yeah, I, I, uh, I uh, write for the Libertarian Standard, as well as my archives up at NewRockwell.com. Just, just go to columnist and find my name, my archive is Strike the Root, uh, pretty pretty uh, voluminous writing in both of those places. Okay, and uh, Stephen Molyneux. Well, uh, of course, it's freedomainradio.com for free books and podcasts. I'm not even going to tell you how many because it's kind of embarrassing at this point, but um, <laughs> uh, I'll also be speaking, I'm the opening speaker at Porkfest which is not a porn convention, much though it may sound like one. It is, in fact, a libertarian <laughs> gathering in New Hampshire, which I hope people can attend. Uh, I will also be the closing speaker at Libertopia in Hollywood in October in California. I hope people can join there. Uh, that's at libertopia.org. And uh, thanks very much for the invite. It was a really, really a, a very, very great pleasure to, to chat with you all and to, uh, to, to discuss this topic and the topics that we delved into. So thanks so much for the, uh, for the invite. Yeah, I just couldn't believe it. Here we were like 50 minutes before the show was about to go live, and all of a sudden I get a message on Facebook. Uh, you know, you got room for me on the show today? I said, well, of course. You know, here's the number call in, Stefan. So it's great. All you guys, all you guys, it's, this has been a, a great broadcast and a great po podcast it's going to be. I want to thank you all. I hope that um, 
Stefan Kinsella, we can have you on again with uh, talking about IP. Uh, that's that's the topic that uh, I want to get into um, with you. So I hope that you will come back uh, sometime shortly. To, um, okay. And uh, Wilton, um, uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, you had a lot, you know, a lot to offer. And uh, Mariana, um, I want to thank you for coming on as well. And Mandy, I want to thank you uh, for hosting uh, these shows with me. Um, hopefully, we can all make a difference in the world, and I truly do believe, um, you know, that we can. Um, it's like it's been mentioned in the you know show tonight that this is all about educating, educating people, and uh, making them realize what the state is and what it's about and how. Uh, people can be to make life a lot better. I want to thank you all again for uh, joining us tonight. It's been great. Um, tune in tomorrow you. night, folks. For You're welcome. And uh, tune in tomorrow night for um, Let's Talk Live. It's at 9 p.m. here on uh, Blog Talk Radio. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having Bye. me. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm going to play us out with uh, Andrew Jackson. It's, uh, he's a Canadian and uh, this is his uh, song of his album, Feral Familiar. This is track seven, Another Day in Misery. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a great week. Did you read between lines?